Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. So uh, let's uh, begin. Today is our final week of our series, Promises, Promises. And I've really enjoyed this series uh, I think one reason is because every week is totally standalone. Like, I I'm not having to keep a theme. There is a, a large theme going, but I'm not having to keep a storyline going week to week to week or whatever. It's like every week stands on its own. And I think every week's been a powerful reminder of God's faithfulness and of God's goodness and of God's love for his people. And so uh, we're going to finish this week. It's going to be a bit different, a bit unique in a certain way. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read where we're going to sort of end at the beginning, and we will get there. So I'll read it, and then we'll come back at the end to it. And then what we're going to do is see a theme uh, throughout Scripture of today's promise. And so it's a bit different. It's not just one Scripture or one story. We're going to kind of do a survey of the Bible, Old and New Testament, and see the same theme uh, runs throughout, and it still applies to us today. So we're going to be in Matthew 28, a very familiar passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 28. This is what we call the Great Commission, and there's a promise in this commission that's still for us, okay? So here's where we're going to start, Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given authority, all authority, in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So today's promise from Jesus is that he is always with you. That's the promise for today. He's always with you. So when Jesus says these words in Matthew 28, I think the disciples, they hear a theme. They hear the words that he's saying, and they believe them, I think, to a certain degree. Uh, but they also say, we've heard this kind of language before in our, in our Bible, what we call the Old Testament. We've read that time after time after time. They sense a theme that Jesus is now continuing with them. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go back to the Old Testament and look at a couple of examples of this theme and how it works and how it looks in specific instances for specific reasons that will apply to us. And then this one and another one from the New Testament. So four examples throughout Scripture of this promise from God, from Jesus, that he is always with you. Okay, so that's, that's the promise that we're going to look at today. The first one that we're going to look at is in the book of Deuteronomy. That's a fun word to say. Say Deuteronomy. Isn't that fun? That's just fun to say. Deuter it just rolls off the tongue, Deuteronomy. So at the end of Deuteronomy, we have basically Moses who's giving his farewell address. He's about to die, uh, and he, so he's kind of giving his last words of encouragement. So Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, here's what Moses says. He says, So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them, the people of the uh, other nations that they're going to be entering. He says, for the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. 
So Moses here is capping off an amazing life, an amazing career as a leader. So he's, you know, 40 or so years before he says these words, he talked to Pharaoh who thought he was divine, thought he was a god, and demanded something of him. That takes guts. And actually, to kind of get you ahead, later this fall, we're going to do a series on the life of Moses for several weeks. And so we're going to be talking more about this in detail. So I've been studying it for a few weeks already, and it's, it's going to be good. It's exciting stuff. Moses is a cool guy, so we'll, we'll talk about that. So he led these Hebrew people out of Egyptian bondage. He led them across the Red Sea, and then he led them for 40 years wandering through the desert, which was not a fun job. He's, there were multiple times where he's like, God, what did I, why did you call me to do this? You know? And then there's other times where God says, I'm going to kill them all, and Moses says, no, no, I didn't mean that. Like, no, let's not get out of control here, God. You know? So Moses is a fascinating guy, but he's about to die, and he, these are his final words to the people. Don't be afraid, because God is going, he's saying, I'm not going to go with you into the promised land. But God says he will personally go with you. But then he gets very specific and he brings up his successor, Joshua, in front of all the people. And he gives him a personal encouragement. Here's what he says. So verse 7. Then Moses called for Joshua. And as all Israel watched, he said to him, be strong and courageous. For you will lead these people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors he would give them. You are the one who will divide it among them as their grants of land. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Now, for Joshua, this is a powerful moment. Imagine someone that you have looked up to, that you have tried to be just like. Maybe it's a parent or a person in the community, or maybe it's a coach or someone at your work, and you're going to take over their job or whatever. Like, they take you in front of the entire company or at a family event. You know, they're like, you're the guy now, whatever. And it's an amazing thing. This guy that he has looked up to and followed like a little puppy dog in his shadow for decades uh, is saying, hey, you're next, and you can do this. That's, that's amazing, putting on the mantle here. What an honor. But then Moses dies, and Joshua needs some more reassurance now. So then when we go from the end of Deuteronomy right after this into the book named after Joshua, Joshua chapter 1, God has to give him this same encouragement. Okay, so let's read this. Joshua 1 verse 9. This is now God speaking to Joshua. He says, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So the way that God promises to be with Joshua is he says, hey Joshua, I'm going to be with you despite your feelings of inadequacy. That's the first way that we see this promise being fleshed out, that God is with you even in your inadequacy. So here's the thing. It's one thing for your leader to pump you up and encourage you, And then it's another thing when the next day you're the leader and it's on you now. Those are different things. So it's like this. The coach can give the greatest rah-rah speech to his football team, but after the coach stops talking in the locker room, now the quarterback has got to do it. He can't can't just say, well, the coach said this, and so we feel good, so we're going to win. No, if he performs like garbage, the team will lose. So it's not just what the coach does to get them all riled up. It's the team then has to perform. It's on them at that point. 
And it's almost like, you know, at work, you get the, when you start a new job, you have this training course and you have this book and you learn all the rules, you learn all the steps, you learn all the requirements for your position. But then guess what? Day, day one after that, you have to then do all that stuff. You have to know all that stuff. You have to perform the job. It could be the best training manual you've ever seen. I mean, it's got like tabs that are color-coded, and it's got references, you know, and it just, it's perfect, and you feel so trained and so prepared on Friday when your training is over, and then Monday when you show up and you've got to do it, it's like, oh, this is scary. I don't think I can do this. I feel inadequate. It's almost like when, you know, a uh, a trapeze artist is going to practice with, with, a high, with a net under them and, and the harness on them. But then when the crowd's there under the tent and there's no harness and there's no net, it's a different feeling. And that is what Joshua is dealing with. So he served with Moses for decades. He's been with him every step of the way. But what he's with Moses every step of the way. Now it's him. So now Moses can't bail him out if something goes wrong. He can't go to Moses and say, okay, dude, what should I do? You did this for so long, so well. He's like, no, no, this dude's dead. It's, it's up to me now. And so and you even think about when Moses was called by God to do this thing. Moses, mighty Moses, right? This guy that Joshua's like basically next to God. You're it, dude. Like when Moses was called, he felt inadequate. Like he, he tried to talk God out of picking him. He's like, well, I can't do this, and I can't do that. And I, there's no way I, that's going to happen. You, why are you asking me to do that? And so then you think 40 years later, Joshua's thinking, okay, if Moses didn't feel like he was up to the task, how am I going to follow him? How am I going to do that? I am totally inadequate. But that's why Moses and then God himself tells him, don't be discouraged, don't be afraid, because I am with you. I will always be with you. That's the promise that he gave to Joshua. Aren't you glad that God is with you even when you feel inadequate? That's amazing. Because that's probably how we feel a lot. Most of the time, I'm like, I'm not sure that I'm cut out to do this. I don't know if I can pull that off. I can't measure up. I don't have what it takes. What if I cave under the pressure? What if I let everyone down? What if I try and fail and fall flat on my face? There's no way that I can do this. Most of the time, we deal with feelings of inadequacy. But remember, God says he will be with you. This promise is for you. And we'll see how these all tie together as we get, as we get to the end here in a little bit. God promises to be with you, to personally, he says, go with you. So when you feel like you don't have what it takes, guess what? You don't. And it doesn't matter because God is with you, personally going before you, equipping you with what you don't have, filling in the gaps that you lack, supplying what you lack, giving strength where you're weak, giving insight where you're confused. When you feel inadequate, he is more than adequate, and he is always with you. The second uh, way that we see this promise is later on. It's in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. Let's look at this one. So this is Isaiah speaking to the people, uh, really, really God speaking through Isaiah to the people of Israel and a few hundred years later, and here's what he says. It's very similar language here. You'll notice a theme. Again, the disciples in Matthew 28 are hearing this theme. Isaiah 41, verse 10, Don't be afraid, for I am with you. 
Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. So what God promises here is that he will be with Israel even through the incomprehensible. So first it's in our inadequacy, and now it's in the incomprehensible. Those moments where things just don't make sense. Things where it's so confusing, so disorienting. God says even in those moments, in those seasons, he is with you. So when Isaiah is speaking here, it's right before the the king of Israel is split north and south. And right, really right after Isaiah dies, just about a decade or so later, the northern kingdom of Israel is conquered by the Assyrian regime. And they go into their own exile. And then a little over 100 years later after that, the southern kingdom is taken over by Babylon. And so you think, well, Isaiah, this is why this is incomprehensible. That doesn't match up with what happened 100 years later. Like he says, I'll be with you and and you're going to be fine and don't fear, don't be discouraged, don't be upset because I'm with you. But wait, both kingdoms are now conquered. Israel basically is just a people group randomly spread throughout the region. What are you talking about? Why would you say that? What's, what's going on here? It's, here's the key. It's in the moment when it seemed like God had abandoned them, that's when he's saying, no, no, I am with you. In those moments that are incomprehensible, I am with you. In fact, in Isaiah 41, if you go back to the beginning of that chapter, verses 2, 3, and 4, God's saying, not only am I with you in what you're doing, I'm actually orchestrating every event that's happening. Because he says, who's causing this, this mighty king in the east to come and do all these things? Who's causing all these things to happen in the world? God says, that'd be me. I'm doing that. So here's what he said. And you would say, well, that's incomprehensible too. Why would you allow these evil, vicious bloody empires to overthrow your people. That's another sermon for another day, but here's what he's saying. It's kind of doubling, doubling down what he's telling them. He's saying, not only am I with you, I'm in control of everything. The things that seem great, I, I know what's going on. I haven't forgotten. The things that seem terrible, I know what's going on. I haven't forgotten. I haven't, oh, oh yeah, I forgot about that over there. Let me just make that. No, that's not how God works. He's always in control. So he's saying, I'm always with you and always in complete control, even in the incomprehensible things. Aren't you glad that God is with you even when things are incomprehensible in your life? It's good. Times where you say, what just happened? You look at, and maybe a certain relationship fell apart, or maybe your life's in total shambles, and you're like, wait, I can't understand this. I can't explain this. I can't comprehend this. What do you mean God is with me? Well, he says he is, right? He says he's always there. In those moments where life just comes at you so fast, you just get knocked down a thousand miles an hour. Boom, boom. This thing happens. That thing happens. This report comes in. This diagnosis comes in. This, you get this news and this, it's like, well, just slow down life. I'm going to drown here. In those moments, God says he is with you. Sometimes when life takes a sharp left turn that you didn't see coming, your neck hurts from the whiplash, okay? In those moments, God is with you. Or maybe you're stuck in a rut. Things haven't changed in a long time. You're getting discouraged. You're getting frustrated. You're getting angry. You're like, I'm trying. I'm spinning my wheels, and you're running life kind of on a treadmill. You're doing a lot of work but not getting anywhere. You know, that happens. In those moments, God is with you. Even in that, God is there. Maybe you feel like you're the opposite, like you're losing ground. 
Like I'm sinking, I'm going backward, I'm regressing. I thought things were changing, but they're not. I thought things were getting better, but I look and they're worse than ever. Even in those moments where it's incomprehensible, we can't understand, we can't explain, we can't wrap our brains and our minds and our hearts and our spirits and our emotions around those things. Even and especially, I would say, in those moments, God is always with us, even in the incomprehensible. So the third example gets to the New Testament, and it's early in the New Testament. So it's a classic love story, okay? So it's boy meets a girl, boy falls in love with girl, boy uh, declares his love to girl, girl gets impregnated by the Holy Spirit. You know, classic, classic love story, you know. So the third example we're going to look at is Joseph from the New Testament, the earthly father of Jesus. So Joseph has an issue as well that we're going to look at for a minute here, and he, he finds, as with Joshua, as with Israel, that God is always with him in a really cool, unique way. So as we know, Mary and Joseph are betrothed. Basically, they're engaged to be married, and then she tells him, hey, I'm pregnant, and I promise it was the Holy Spirit, you know, and he's like, oh, you know, that's really creative. You know, I like your effort there on the cover-up. I don't, just don't know what to do with that. What do I do with that, Mary? And you know, if we're honest, I think we would all be in the same position. I mean, that's a difficult place to be in. So he's like, what do I do? What, what should I do? What should I believe? And so he's kind of on the fence about what he should do, what he wants to do, what, what seems right, what may be right, I don't know. And so then he has a dream. Let's look at what happens in this dream. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. As he considered this, he's weighing his options, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, this sounds familiar, right? Do not be afraid. I've seen that before in this theme. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then Matthew gives us this little parenthesis here. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she'll give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. So what God does here for Joseph is he says, hey, Joseph, I'm with you despite your indecision. Despite your indecision. That's Joseph's problem. So Joseph is battling his emotions here on what he should do. He's battling what is the correct step to take. He's a noble guy. He's a good guy. He doesn't want to hurt Mary, but he's got his reputation to consider, his parents' reputation to consider. He's got to think about what this, if this is not true and I go through with this marriage thing, what will that look like? If this crazy story happens to be true, what does that mean? What will that look like? I don't know. That, that could be even scarier than the other option. So he's weighing, he's, he's indecisive, and understandably so. So I can imagine when he wakes up from this dream, he's thinking, what did I have for dinner last night that caused this dream to happen? Because the angel says, hey, the girl's telling the truth. Like, she's not making this up. Like, I've already talked to her. We've already talked this out. She's on board. I need you to get on board. And he's like, um, okay. I mean, was it liverwurst? Was it like, I don't know. I, you know, it's, that sounds like the worst. So it probably was. I don't know. I don't know if that's kosher or not. He's Jewish. 
But then think about, he's got the same instruction from the angel in the dream that Joshua had in Deuteronomy and the book of Joshua, and the same instruction that Israel had from Isaiah. Do not be afraid. That's a huge key with this promise about God always being with you. Fear is always an element in life. It just is. And God knows that. So that's why I think he has to say these two things together. Don't be afraid because I am with you. It just goes together. It makes sense. And it's hard. Like these, these people in the Bible, they're real people just like us with limited scope, limited vision, limited understanding. And so they're like, okay, God, I, I get it. I understand that you're with me, but I don't know what that actually looks like. I, I, don't, I don't know what you look like. I don't know where you really are. I, and so there's always that element in there. So God says with the I'm always with you, don't be afraid. Don't let fear take over. And so with, jo- with uh, Joseph here, it's don't let indecision keep you from doing what you should do. Like, you got to make a choice here. you, you got to do it, and I'm with you in that. And I'll be honest, believing for Joseph, believing Mary took some guts on his part, uh, staying with her was a risky move because of the reputation factor. They've got to get everybody else to believe this crazy-sounding story, and probably most of them did not. Uh, they, they've they've got to live with the, their neighbors always whispering about them. Oh, yeah, they're, they're the ones that had the God child. You know, it's that kind of that kind of thing. So they're always going to have this stigma, and yet God helped him with his indecision. What should I do? God, the angel says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. What she said is true. It's real. This happened. And what's unique here about Joseph, obviously, is that this promise was actually like physically birthed. So when we talk about the promise today is God says, I will always be with you. That's why Matthew says this fulfilled the prophecy from Isaiah hundreds of years before that he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. So not only did he give this promise to make a decision, despite his indecision, but the the child of the promise was the promise, God with us. Jesus came to show us what God really looked like as closely as we can physically, tangibly understand him in our finite minds. So not only was it sort of this cool spiritual experience and this dream and this saying that motivated him to make a decision, but the fulfillment of the promise was then fulfilling to everyone because God came from heaven to earth to live among us as one of us for 30 or so years as the son, in his son Jesus Christ, God with us. So, aren't you glad that in the midst of your indecision, that God is with you? That's powerful. Because sometimes in life, we have two great options, and we're like, oh, which one is the best? And we can, we can be on the fence for so long about, oh, this one has pros, and this one has pros, and I don't know what to do. And if we're not careful, then both opportunities disappear all of a sudden. It's like an avocado. You bite at the store, and it's not quite ripe yet, and you sit it there and it's still not quite ripe, and then you're like, oh, it's ripe, and you, you leave for five seconds and come back, and then it's not good anymore, you know, that sort of thing. Sometimes our indecision can cause that to happen in our lives. Or maybe you have two terrible options, and you're like, okay, which is the lesser of two evils here? Uh, you know, I know I'm going to deal with this problem if I choose this one. I know I'm going to have these roadblocks if I go this way. What do I do? What do I do? In those moments, God says he is with you. Maybe you're between a rock and a hard place right now, and you're like, what do I do? 
I have no idea what direction to go. I have no idea what option to choose. I'm clueless. Even in our indecision, God is always with us. Maybe sometimes your decisions are on a time crunch. The time, the clock is ticking. You have to make a decision. And that adds even more pressure. And the stakes are even higher now on this decision that you have to make. Tick tock, tick tock. And we start to sweat and we start to shake. And we're like, I don't know. In your indecision, God is always with you. Or maybe you're indecisive because you have so many voices around you all the time giving you their advice and their input. And sometimes they mean well. And sometimes they may have the right answer. But you just, I just don't know. Who do I listen to? That sounds great. But, the, but that sounds great too. And that person has great advice all the time, but I'm not sure about that. And this person has terrible advice, but I want to do that because it's easy, you know? So even sometimes we're just so confused and indecisive, even in those moments, God is with us. Emmanuel is with us. The Holy Spirit is with us to lead us and guide us, to calm us to give us clarity of thought and clarity of vision, to give us a sense of certainty and peace when the decision is finally made. So here's what we should do. And I wish I had more time to kind of flesh this out, but uh, I didn't mean, when I wrote this down, I thought, oh, that rhymes. And I do that sometimes. And I, I, I think it, I don't hear it. And then I write it down and read it. And I'm like, oh, that rhymes. That's kind of cool. So here's, here's kind of a four-step progression, I think, that God can help us with our indecision. All right, just four words. Breathe, pray, listen, obey. That's going to help with indecision all the time, okay? Breathe, pray, listen, obey, okay? So if I, if I take time to breathe and think about it for a second and just calm myself, get all the other voices out of there, and then I pray and hear from the only voice that really matters, and then I listen to what he's saying and as I'm praying, and then I just obey. That can help with indecision. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feel at peace a lot quicker about a lot more things and issues and choices that I have if I breathe, pray, listen, and obey. That's how God, I believe, can help us with indecision. So let's come back to where we started, though, Matthew 28. We've got our fourth example in Scripture of this theme that now Jesus uh, continues on with his disciples. Let's read the verse again, the, the text again, and then we'll talk about what he's saying to his disciples and maybe I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball here at the end to say what God's saying to us in this verse. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So what Jesus is saying here to his disciples and to us is that he's always with you in your itineration. Itineration. What does that mean? Itineration is simply traveling ministry. So like an evangelist, okay? So like John the Baptist is an itinerant preacher. He travels around. Really, John the Baptist just travels around screaming at people. <laughs> Repent! You know, and he's all goofy and eating honey and locusts and, you know, like a goof. Repent! You know, that's what he does. And Paul goes around, plants churches, and starts new faith communities all over uh, Europe and part of Asia and everything. And, and Jesus is an itinerant minister traveling through the region, preaching and teaching. Uh, this became really popular in uh, New England in the mid, early and mid-18th century. So you got guys like George Whitfield, um, who traveled around New England even before 
There was the United States of America. He's in the colonies there traveling, preaching, uh, and kind of tag-teaming with Jonathan Edwards, who was a huge uh, preacher in that time. And then later on, you have John and Charles Wesley. If you are familiar with the Methodist movement, those are your dudes right there, okay? Um, and so they started the Methodist movement. They're actually English, but they came over to America, and they were itinerant ministers. They would travel, and they also trained what are called circuit riders. Uh, the, the, over 500 of these, they trained in their time in America to travel all over America preaching. They would just get on their horses and ride from town to town, city to city, and just preach and preach and preach. They, were, they, they did what we call itineration. And um, kind of a more common example from today's world, from even from a few years ago, is Billy Graham, uh, the great evangelist, that he would be an itinerant preacher, traveling from place to place, preaching. So the important thing with this sort of thing is that God says to his disciples and what God said to these men, what he's going to say to us in just a second, is that in this, you're going to face criticism. You're going to face haters. You're going to face doubters. Uh, you're going to face obstacles, possibly even danger. Uh, you're going to face a lot of things, but he says, I will be with you. So here's the thing. Let me ask you this question. We've asked this question every time. I'm going to ask it again. Aren't you glad that God is with you in your itineration? Now, you might say, wait a second. <laughs> I'm not an itinerant minister, <laughs> so that's for somebody else. Uh, let me just leave you with this thought as we begin to close this morning. Here's this idea. You may say, this doesn't apply to me. I'm not an itinerant minister. Wrong you are. Here's the thing. You may not have been called into ministry, but if you've been called, you're in ministry. Okay? So when I was 16 years old, I felt a call from God to be in full-time vocational ministry, to devote my life to ministry. So you may never have and may never will since that call, but if you've answered the call to follow Jesus, you're in ministry. You're welcome. Glad I could give you that insight today. We don't sometimes think of our life of faith that way, but that's, that's what it is. Jesus says, follow me. And when he says it, every time he says it, every time he's walking, he's on a mission, he's headed somewhere else, and he's saying, hey, if you can just stop what you're doing and follow me, we're going to do some cool things. But we're not going to sit around and just, and just patty cake through life, right? We've got stuff to do. We've got a mission. And if you want to be a part of that and follow me, there, there's work, right? There's work involved in that. And you think about the disciples here in Matthew 28 when Jesus is giving them this commission. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's itineration. So what, what credential did they have? Like he would say, well, I don't have a degree. What degree did the disciples have? Like what training did they have? The same training that any Christ follower today has. Spending time with Jesus. Following Jesus. Learning from Jesus being encouraged by Jesus. Now, they had a bit of an advantage, I'll admit, because they were literally physically with him for this training, and we are not. But that's why in John 15, 16, 17, Jesus takes time to sit down with his disciples and say, hey, I'm not going to be here forever, but when I go, I'm sending the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the helper, the guide to do what I've been doing. He will guide you into all truth. He will lead you, encourage you, and instruct you in what to do and where to go in everything you do. So they just followed Jesus. That's what we're doing. If you're a Christian, you're following Jesus. So that means by default, you are an itinerant minister. You are in ministry. And that's why one of our core values here at the church is we are missional. It's who we are. We want everyone to feel empowered that you are on mission. 
you have a greater purpose than just going to your job to clock in and out and do your thing or, you know, sit at your desk at at your house probably now (laughs) to do your thing, most of us, right? Uh, But wherever, it's wherever you go, we're on mission. Whatever we do, we're on mission. Whoever we meet is not by accident because we are on mission. We are all itinerant ministers. And here's the thing. Uh, well, I'll say one more thing, then I'll get to the, then I'll really close for the, for the final time. So you think, well, ministry is Stephen's job. Well, in a way, yes. But if you look at Ephesians chapter, I think it's chapter 5, Paul says this, that the job, my job, right, as a pastor is not to do ministry, right? It's to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, So there's another evidence in Scripture right there that we are all on mission. Part of my job, part of what we do here is this is sort of a training ground for the other six days of the week, okay? This is sort of the HQ for us to gather and for God to speak to us and encourage us even through worship, right, to kind of get our hearts set and right for whatever's coming tomorrow, and Tuesday, and Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, whatever's coming. Sometimes we know, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we think we know and we really don't. Uh, Whatever that is, this is sort of that training ground. It's sort of giving us that, the sort of uptick that we need in our spirit, in our soul, in our mind, all of that to get ready for what is ahead. It's sort of a filling station, if you will. So remember, you're in ministry. Now, this realization, let's see the theme come together today, okay? This realization to you may seem intimidating, you may feel inadequate. It may seem incomprehensible. You may be filled with indecision. But we've already established God's with you in all of that. That's why we saved this bit for last. Because we've already established that what we might feel when we really consider what it means to really follow Jesus, that I'm on mission. I'm a minister. I have a higher purpose, a higher calling. Even if it's not vocational ministry, I'm in ministry. So you might feel inadequate. It might seem incomprehensible, and you might be filled with indecision, but God's already said he's with you in all that anyway. So he's with you in that. He's with you in your itineration. So as you live your life of faith uh, before others every day, you can do it with gospel purpose and with godly confidence. You can know, okay, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do it. This seems out of my league, but God said it. He's with me. God's called me to do this. Christ has said, follow me. So wherever he goes, I'm going to go. Whatever he asks, I'm going to do. Whatever he requests, I'm going to say, yes, Lord, right? That's what we're going to do. And so we can know that no matter what we face, no matter how we feel, the promise again today is that God is always with you. Again, no matter what you face or how you feel, God is always with you, and that's good news.